All right, we're continuing our study through the book of Ezekiel. Let's uh, begin in a word of prayer. Father, again, we approach your word with fear and trembling, understanding that these things are not necessarily written to uh, those in Jerusalem who never heard them, but instead they were to your exiles, to the remnant who would repent and listen, and they are written down for us that we might also listen to what is said and heed your warnings. We thank you, Lord, for showing your glory both through your love and through your wrath. And I pray now as we look in Ezekiel 20, we'll see the great work that you have done and the fact that you alone are to be uh, glorified for accomplishing it. Lord, we pray that you'd be magnified today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's uh, begin in Ezekiel 20, verse 1. In the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth of the month, some of the elders of Israel came to seek the Lord, and they sat down in front of me. The Lord's message came to me, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and tell them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Are you coming to seek me? As sure as I live, I will not allow you to seek me, declares the, the sovereign Lord. Now, you might, uh, just just a note, you're seeing the word, you know, sovereign Lord, and I'm not sure how your translation takes it. That's Adonai Yahweh. So my Lord Yahweh uh, said this. My Lord Yahweh said that. Um, so Ezekiel is speaking as the servant. Later on, of course, Adonai will become a, a replacement for Yahweh when uh, Yahweh appears in scripture. When it's read, it, uh, people will say Adonai, uh, and Adonai then will just mean Lord at that point. And then, of course, that becomes Kurios in the New Testament, Lord. So when Jesus is called Lord, often that's a reference to Yahweh, uh, especially when there are Old Testament passages quoted of him. But notice here, uh, who is allowing who to seek him? Well, God says, I'm not going to allow you elders to seek me. Now, notice there's not a whole lot of free will there. Uh, You know, if I don't seek the Lord, it's up to me. If I don't find the Lord, it's up to me. No, it's up to the Lord if you find the Lord. It's up to the Lord if he answers you. Now, there's no free will of man here in terms of, well, you know, if I decide, then, then God will answer me. No, God will choose to answer you or not. God will choose to allow you to find him, to seek him, to even seek him in order to find him. God will allow that. So just notice that that's going to run throughout is that God will decide what's going to happen here, not men. Are you willing to pronounce judgment on them? Are you willing to pronounce judgment, son of man? Then confront them with the abominable practices of their fathers and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. On the day I chose Israel, I swore to the descendants of the house of Jacob and made myself known to them in the land of Egypt. Now notice the election there, uh, as if, if you've watched the Roman series, uh, is an election to be God's people upon the earth. Uh, there's a remnant within that, obviously, that we talked about. But to be God's people upon the earth is the, what it means to be chosen in that regard. It doesn't mean the same thing every time. Obviously, we saw in Romans 11 that there's a chosen that are chosen for salvation. That's the remnant. But there's also the larger group that's chosen to be the visible Israel. So he calls them out and chooses them to be this. 
uh, and he made himself known to them in the, in, uh, the land of Egypt. I swore to them, I am Yahweh your God. On that day, I swore to bring them out of the land of Egypt to a land that I had picked out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most beautiful of all lands. I said to them, each of you must get rid of the detestable idols you keep before you and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am Yahweh, your God. But they rebelled against me and refused to listen to me. No, no one got rid of their detestable idols, nor did they abandon the idols of Egypt. Then I decided to pour out my rage on them and, a, and fully vent my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. I acted for the sake of my reputation so that I would not be profaned before the nations among whom they lived, before whom I revealed myself by bringing them out of the land of Egypt. So uh, why did he pour out his wrath upon them? Well, because the nations are watching and uh, they're meant to be priests, right? That's why they're being called out to be his people upon the earth, to be a kingdom of priests who represent God to the nations and the nations to God. Well, they now have become corrupt once he does that, so he's got to now judge them. So he, of course, doesn't allow them to enter into the land. Um, and, and, and he's going to make the argument here as well that the reason why he still brought them out of the land of Egypt wasn't because they were righteous and they gave up the, the idols of Egypt, but be, for his sake, because he had already made that pact with Jacob, he'd already made that, that promise to Abraham, for his sake and reputation, the nations, again, are also watching to see if he's going to fulfill his promises. So for his purposes, for his glory, not because they were righteous and uh, listened to him. So I brought them out of the land of Egypt, verse 10, and led them to the wilderness. I gave them my statutes and revealed my regulations to them. The one who carries them out will live by them. So I want you, this is important here for what he's going to say later on. Um, he gave them his statutes and reg- regulations that they might live by them. That's clearly talking about the Mosaic law code. So very important. People will make the argument later. He's going to talk about how he gives uh, statutes and decrees uh, so that they actually can't live. They, 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 so they actually die by them, that they're decrees that are actually not good. Uh, they're not toward life, uh, but will actually destroy them. And people try to use that and say, see, some of the Mosaic laws corrupt and they're, they're false laws that God gave to the people. That's not what he's talking about. We'll talk more about that later. But here he's talking about the actual Mosaic law, that he wants them to live by these. The one who carries them out will live by them. I also gave them my Sabbaths as a reminder of our relationship so that they would know that I, Yahweh, sanctify them. So it's very important. He's going to talk about how these people reject his Sabbaths over and over again. We think that's, well, you know, people aren't going to church on Sunday. Well, eh, not kind of, not really. Of course, Sunday is not really a Sabbath. It's the day of new creation, the day of resurrection, um, it's the day of celebration. Sabbath is really looking back upon the old creation and that God has completed it, that he's sovereign over all creation. It's a reminder of Genesis 1 that he sits upon his throne uh, over chaos. Chaos does not sit over him. And so the Sabbath is a reminder then of the relationship that he has with Israel, that chaos will not overtake them if, in fact, they are in the right relationship with him. 
So when people deny it, they're denying the sovereignty of God. They're denying his relationship with Israel. They're rejecting God altogether as God. And so it's, it's a little bit more important than, well, yeah, you forgot a holiday that I told you to observe. That's not the point. Um, the point is, is that they've taken the Lord for granted, and therefore they've taken this day. They are to remember his kingship uh, each week upon uh, for granted, and therefore they've profaned it, meaning that they've either defiled it or they've made it common, which he's going to talk about later, uh, rather than seeing it as, as a holy day to remember the Lord. And so it's, it's a, a, a result of taking God for granted or distorting who God is. Now, you kind of see that in even church, even though we would say Sunday is not the Sabbath, um, it's the day after the Sabbath, it's the day of new creation, you do see when people have a distorted view of God that they don't actually observe Sunday. Uh, they don't actually observe the assembly. They, they, don't, they don't care about it. They forsake it because it's not that big of a deal because, frankly, God isn't that big of a deal. Um, you know, God's their buddy and he's got a direct correspondence with them. What do you need the church for? It's that idea, of course. And of course, in the scripture, you absolutely need the church. Uh, it is, you know, as, as it's been said throughout history by Cyprian and repeated by Calvin, that he who would have God as father must have the church as his mother. Um, the church is there for sanctification. And I guarantee if you are not in an assembly, you're not being sanctified. So, of course, you do see this correspondence between those who have a warped view of God and think that he's somehow their buddy uh, being the same people who don't really think going to church is that big of a deal or, or being with other Christians or uh, being taught by elders and under the authority of elders and whatnot. So verse 13, but the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not follow my statutes. They rejected my regulations. The one who obeys them will live by them, uh, parentheses there, and they utterly desecrated my Sabbaths. So I decided to pour out my anger on them in the wilderness and destroy them. I acted for the sake of my reputation so that I would not be profaned before the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. I also swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them to the land I had given them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most beautiful of all lands. I did this because they rejected my regulations, did not follow my statutes, and desecrated my Sabbaths, for their hearts followed their idols. Yet I had pity on them and did not destroy them completely, so I did not make an end of them in the wilderness. So... Here you have God saying, look, uh, I don't care what people you are. Again, I don't care about the labels. I don't care that I just saved you out of Egypt. If you're going to return to following the devil through these idols, then I'm going to destroy you. And he destroys them. And yet he still keeps, again, that remnant because he's going to bring about his purposes even in the midst of these wicked people who are supposed to be uh, 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 imaging him and yet are not. But I said to their children in the wilderness, do not follow the practices of your fathers, do not observe their regulations, nor defile yourselves with their idols. I am Yahweh your God. Follow my statutes, observe my regulations, and carry them out. Treat my Sabbaths as holy, and they will be a reminder of our relationship, and then you will know that I am Yahweh your God. 
But the children rebelled against me, did not follow my statutes, did not observe my regulations by carrying them out. Parentheses again, the one who obeys them will live by them and desecrated my Sabbaths. I decided to pour out my rage on them and fully vent my anger against them in the wilderness. But I refrained from doing so and acted instead for the sake of my reputation so that I would not be profaned before the nations in whose sight I had brought them out. I also swore to them in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the nations and disperse them throughout the lands. I did this because they did not, they did not observe my regulations, they rejected my statutes, and they desecrated my Sabbaths, and their eyes were fixed on their father's idols. I also gave them decrees that were not good and regulations by which they could not live. I declared them to be defiled because of their sacrifices. They caused all their firstborn to pass through the fire so that I might devastate them, so that they would not know that I am the Lord. Now I want you to notice here, now he talks about giving them decrees and statutes that were not good for them, and uh, would, would, they would not be able to live by them. So things that actually would destroy them in the end. Now, again, people try to say, well, there's, that's why we can go ahead and reject some of the Mosaic Law, and it's like, he's not talking about the Mosaic Law. Uh, it's very clear that he already gave them the Mosaic Law, and they're not performing it. Obviously, his his whole uh, his whole uh, argument against them is that they're not obeying what he gave them: his statutes, regulations, observance of the law, or observance of the Sabbath. Like he that that was given in the Mosaic Law Code, so they're not doing the Mosaic Law Code. So what do they get instead? They get visions from false prophets. He's going to talk about in the, that in the next chapter. They get corrupt priests uh, who are also distorting what the law means. In other words, when the judgment of God falls upon his people, his first judgment seems to be that he blinds people even with false revelations that he gives them over to and a distortion of the interpretation of his word. So if, if the Again, applying this to spiritual Israel, and we're coming to the modern day of the church, if the church is to be seen under judgment, it's going to go off on visions that people are getting. So you're going to have cults, you're going to have uh, false teachers in the church that, that uh, take people's mind away from the word of God and toward their visions and dreams and all that sort of thing. Um, you're going to get people who, not even in a supernatural way, take people's minds and focus off the word of God with their stories or their self-help garbage. Uh, and so th their minds ultimately will be taken off of scripture. And even though they have the scripture in front of them, they won't see it. Same thing with the interpretations of the Bible. All of that's going to be supported with the Bible, right? But it's going to be the Bible ripped out of context. So it's going to be a, a pieced together Bible where people don't know God and they don't know what's right and wrong. They're going with their cultural, uh, cultural idols. They're going with the cultural ideas of morality. And they're going to be distorted in that way. And that is the judgment of God upon a people who did not obey the clear word of God that he gave them. And that's exactly what you see today. You see a distortion in all those different ways. And I, I don't even have to give you examples of them. There are so many in our culture and within the church. So 
Notice that that's how he judges these people who do not listen to him. So it's not talking about the Mosaic Law Code. It's talking about the fact that they hadn't obeyed the Mosaic Law Code, and therefore now they're going to get this. So God says he refrained from actually destroying them completely because of his reputation, but he does actually judge them for this. So I swore in the wilderness that I would scatter them throughout the lands, uh, throughout the nations, disperse them throughout the lands. I did this because they did not observe my regulations. They rejected my statutes, gave them decrees that were not good. Verse 26, I declared them to be defiled because of their sacrifices. So the irony is that the sacrifices are supposed to purify you, and instead these sacrifices are defiling them. And he's give, they're giving him, uh, not him, but they're giving their idols firstborn. It may be Yahweh through the idols, who knows? But obviously God rejects that. God was supposed to be given the firstborn in dedication, if you look back in Exodus, in the law. And yet they're actually making their sons pass through the fire, meaning that they're burning their children in sacrifice, either to God in a wayward, you know, distorted view of, of what God wants, or to other gods uh, through their idols. But notice that, that there's a, again, once you have distorted who God is and you're not worshiping the right God, you have the wrong religion, it leads to anti-creational activity, especially when it comes to your children. And so, by the way, the sacrificing of children in this way is mentioned in Leviticus 18 with all of the other sexual distortions, all of a sudden you have this thing where children are being sacrificed. And you're like, what is that doing in there? Because it all has to do with children and whether you're procreational and whether you're being creational in your activity. And so the one begets the other, as we've you know, said in the Bible, we'll say over and over again. Therefore, verse 27, speak to the house of Israel, son of man, and tell them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. In this way too, your fathers blasphemed me when they were unfaithful to me. I brought them to the land that I swore to give them, but whenever they saw any high hill or leafy tree, they offered their sacrifices there and presented the offerings that provoked me to anger. They offered their soothing aroma there and poured out their drink offerings. So I said to them, what is this high place you go to? So it is called high place to this day. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Will you defile yourselves like your fathers and engage in prostitution with detestable idols? Remember the imagery back in 16. When you present your sacrifices, when you make your sons pass through the fire, you defile yourselves with all your idols to this very day. Will I allow you to seek me? Now we're back to the beginning. So he's giving them, this is the justification for him saying, you're cut off from me. I will not allow you to seek me. I don't care. You can pray all day long. You're not going to hear from me. That's it. And of course, back in earlier in Ezekiel, he made that statement to Ezekiel that all they're going to get is repent and that his wrath is coming upon them and they're not going to, he's not going to have a relationship with them otherwise, uh, except to tell them to repent. Verse 31, when you present your sacrifices, when you make your sons pass through the fire, you defy yourselves with all your idols to this very day. Will I allow you to seek me, O house of Israel? As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I will not allow you to seek me. So you're not allowed. Have you ever told that to an unbeliever? I've told that to an unbeliever before. If, if I, it, it, they indicate 
that they are just in such rebellion against God, and yet they're communicating to me that, yeah, well, I can believe religion anytime I want. I, I say to them, actually, no, God may not allow you to find him, allow you to seek him. And I've flat out said to people when they've said stuff like that to me, no, you're not allowed. Uh, you're not allowed to find him. That's what's happening right now. When you are in such rebellion against God, God's not allowing you. to. See, you're not allowed to seek him, even if you wanted to. Now, of course, in that, I tell them, you know, if you repent, you know, if God allows you to repent, then grab that and go with it. But ultimately, these people are not being allowed to find him. Now, that's an unbeliever, but ultimately, that's he's saying this of people who claim to be believers, his own people. And I would say, if you continue on in your sin as a believer, if you continue on and you're going to go to your false churches and you're going to seek false Christianity and you're going to keep, you know, in the face of all those hell and brimstone preachers, you're going to still read the shack and you're still going to read your Jesus calling books and you're going to be like, yeah, I'm going to do what I want. Well, actually, I'd say to you, yeah, you are doing what you want and you're not allowed to seek God. God is cutting you off by pushing you over to that false religion that you think is Christianity, which in reality is nothing more than enlightenment religion. It's an enlightenment cult that you're trapped in. And he'll trap you in that cult. And you'll be seeking God, but you'll actually be seeking a false God. You'll be seeking the devil. You won't be seeking God. God will not allow you to seek and find him. Verse 32, what you plan will never happen. You say, we will be like the nations, like the clans of the lands who serve gods of wood and stone. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, with a powerful hand and an outstretched arm, with an outpouring of rage, I will be king over you. So now this is God saying, I'm going to do this myself, and I'm going to do it with the same power that I, I uh, performed in grabbing the people out of Egypt, this outstretched hand, this strong arm, which he basically wrestled Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt to the ground. That same hand is now going to wrestle Israel into submission. Uh, notice, not a whole lot of free will again here. This is God saying, no, no, I am going to do this to you when I decide to do it. I am going to bring about my kingdom. I am going to have Israel. I will be king over it, whether you like it or not. Not quite the, you know, Pelagian passage in scripture, is it? It's God deciding that, no, I'm going to do it. Even against your will is the idea. Now, obviously, we know that God's going to change their wills. He's going to give them a heart of flesh and a new spirit, and they're going to want God to be king over them. But this is the work of God completely then, not any work of wicked men who don't obey God's statutes and don't really want the true God. So verse 35, I will bring you into the wilderness of the nations, and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face. So now he's going to say how he's going to pick through them and he's going to judge them and he's only going to let his people through and he's not going to let the rest through. Again, this ties into Romans 9 through 11 really well if you want to actually read those chapters again. Just as I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you, declares the sovereign Lord. I will make you pass under the shepherd's staff and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. Now, uh, you might be unfamiliar with the passage or the, the phrase that I'll bring you under the shepherd's staff. 
the shepherd would, when bringing the sheep in, would let the sheep pass under the staff one by one and count them, uh, distinguish the, distinguishing them from goats even, and separating them out from goats and maybe separating them out from bad sheep or what have you as well. That's what the terminology is. So one by one, I'm going to make sure you belong here with me. I'm going to count you. And, uh, and the idea is that he's judging them in this way because he's going to separate out from them those who are disobedient. So verse 38, I will eliminate from among you the rebels and those who revolt against me. I will bring them out from the land where they have been residing, but they will not come to the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am Yahweh. As for you, O house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Each of you go and serve your idols if you will not listen to me. But my holy name will not be profaned again by your sacrifices and your idols. For there on my holy mountain, the high mountain of Israel, declares the sovereign Lord, all the house of Israel will serve me, all of them in the land. I will accept them there, and there I will seek your contributions and your choice gifts with all your holy things. When I bring you out of from the nations and gather you from the lands where you are scattered, I will accept you along with your soothing aroma. I will display my holiness among you in the sight of the nations. Then you will know that I am Yahweh when I bring you to the land of Israel, to the land I swore to give to your fathers. And there you will remember your conduct and all your deeds by which you defiled yourselves. You will despise yourselves because of all the evil deeds you have done. Then you will know that I am Yahweh when I deal with you for the sake of my reputation and not according to your wicked conduct and corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares uh, Yahweh the Lord. Now, uh, notice then that this is not in accordance with their works. He's going to bring them back to the land. We know that what happens is he brings them back to the land, even though they're still committing idolatry. They're still uh, marrying the daughters of foreign idols, foreign, foreign gods. And um, this is apostasy. This is idolatry. And so we know then this full vision is not realized yet. The, the, he brings them back to the land. So he does that much for them, as he says, not because they're righteous now, not because they denied their gods, but because of his word. And yet they, they don't yet immediately become the people that he's talking about to where there's no more rebellion in the land, there's no more idolatry in the land, all that sort of thing. There's still a process of that to where really we're still waiting for Christ. And really it's, we're still waiting for the church to be that. And really we're still waiting for the new heavens and new earth to be that ultimately. And so again, there needs to be an understanding that prophecy is contingent on whether the people are obedient at that time. And so even though God says it's not based on what you're doing, it's based on my reputation, and that's why I'm doing this, that's why I'm going to save you, that's why I'm going to bring you back to the land and make you these people, he doesn't necessarily make them that people immediately. Again, there's always a remnant, but not immediately for the whole group. The whole group will be, again, what you see in Romans 9 through 11. And ultimately in the new heavens and new earth. And then there'll be a completely purified nation uh, that everyone looks on and sees what God has done. Well, I did want you, I wanted to read a section from uh, Ian DeGuid, I think is how you pronounce his name. He's a scholar I, that I've read a lot from, but I, you know, I don't necessarily know how to pronounce his name. I haven't been to the 
SBL meetings in years. So uh, I, I wanted to read this because I thought this was kind of a good summary of, of the chapter. He says, on the one hand, rebellion will inevitably, inevitably be punished. Israel can never simply choose to be like the nations and thus remove herself from God's authority. There are only two choices for Israel. She can choose to accept her election and live on the basis of God's laws, or she can rebel as she so often has before and face the consequences of certain death. Likewise, our generation needs people within the covenant community who are prophetically willing to call a spade a spade, to call sin, sin, to speak of death and hell and judgment to come. We need to confront the socially acceptable idols of comfort and success and career progress, which many in our churches attempt to combine with a commitment to Christ, as well as the more blatantly pagan idolatries. We need to confront in our own hearts the continual temptation to remake our understanding of God into a comfortable reflection of our own image instead of submitting unreservedly to his self-revelation in Scripture. It is not a comfortable message to proclaim in an age that calls idols of wood and stone different paths to God, and the high places, the church of your choice. But God has not changed, and the reality of his wrath must be recognized. Otherwise, we are simply deceiving ourselves and those around us with lies about God. On the other hand, Ezekiel 20 should also fill Christians with profound optimism, for it asserts that come hell or high water, with or without the help of his church, God's kingdom will come. His purposes and election are so sure that not even Israel's continual history of sin can thwart them. Though in the providence of God, his first exodus did not bring to fruition his purpose of a pure worshiping people, the second exodus will. So notice again, and he, he alludes to the fact that this is a second exodus, right? He's, he's now bringing his people out of exile to back to the land, or he's going to, is his promises that he's going to, uh, just like he brought his people out of Egypt. But this time it will be, I'm not going to fully accept you as this nation. It's going to be a, a time where I'm just going to continually judge you, purify you, uh, and and then allow you to enter in only once you are at an acceptable level to me, and and two, uh, I'm this is a process that won't actually we know will not actually happen until Christ comes, and he's going to mention this in Ezekiel, by the way, just a very messianic uh, passage in the next chapter. Um, but until Christ comes and he's given the rule. And he purifies the nation, which is going to be the, the new Israel, made up of both the remnant of Jews and, and the Gentiles, as we looked at in Romans. So this is chapter 20 of Ezekiel, again, telling the people, look, I, uh, I judged you for your sin. You're going to be judged. Those who aren't really my people are going to be excluded. I don't care what label they take upon themselves. Again, just drawing from the message he's had before in Ezekiel. But I, in fact, am going to make my kingdom out of people that I purify, that uh, I remove their idols from them, they remove their idols, and I'm going to do this not because on, from their wickedness that they deserve it or something, but because of my reputation, 
because of, of what I promised, I'm going to complete this work. And so it's a very, very Calvinist passage, Ezekiel 20, showing that God, despite what people are doing, despite what they will, despite what they want to do, God's going to be king over them and God's going to rule them with this new spirit he gives to them, this heart of flesh that he talked about before through this new covenant that he makes with them, letting each enter in as they pass through his staff as he chooses them and judges them there. Let's go ahead now and end in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. I pray that your church is able to see themselves in these passages and that individual Christians are able to see themselves in these passages to understand that although you will bring about your kingdom, they may not be a part of it because in fact, you have not allowed them to seek you because of their sin. You have judged them because of their sin and uh, they will not be allowed in your kingdom. You will, they, will, they will not be allowed to even understand who you are. They will not be allowed to even understand what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is false, because you will send them the spirit of confusion through decrees that are not good, through uh, ways of living, patterns of living, guidelines to live by. They're actually contrary to life, but will bring them to death and destruction instead. Lord, but you will, in fact, save your people. You will, in fact, call back a people to yourself. You will grant them repentance. You will regenerate them with a new spirit. You will give them a heart of flesh, and they will worship you in truth and in purity. And we pray that you continue to purify your church so that that vision will fully come about, Lord, one day when you make all things new. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that it restores true worship, a true uh, commitment to you and to the days you set aside to worship you, whether they, they be you know, the Sabbath for Israel in the Old Testament or Sunday for your church, the resurrection day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, let us commemorate these times. Let us gather together as one as we seek to worship you and glorify you in purity, throwing out our idols, throwing away our wicked practices, repenting of our sin, and coming then and inquiring of you that, and, and in prayerful expectation because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, expecting to be allowed to seek you and to find you when we seek you, the scripture says, with our whole being and not just half a mind. Oh, Lord, may you be glorified today in Jesus' name. Amen.